following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So if, you, if you're just joining us, we are working our way through this series on the, the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that uh, Jesus preached, and even though it's only, only three chapters of the Bible, there's a lot in it, right? You think of some of the things that we've covered, all these various Beatitudes, the blessings of living life in the kingdom of God, uh, prayer, the way we treat uh, our enemies, uh, not taking vengeance upon others. Last week we talked about fasting, we got into that strange and peculiar space, and maybe that's been kind of percolating away in your heads. You don't, know, you don't look too hungry this morning, so uh, that's all right. That's, that's something that we do towards, towards God. Uh, but hopefully this has been, been just stirring some, some fresh thinking for you and just helping to shape and, and mold and just to bring us back again as we started this series, we talked about how the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is around shaping us to be disciples of Jesus. Primarily when Jesus gave the sermon, he spoke it to the disciples. Even though there was a crowd there, he spoke it to the disciples. And this is for those and about those who want to be disciples of Jesus, who really want to say, yes, I'll follow. I don't just want to be in the crowd. I want to follow. Or maybe those who are wondering about shifting from the crowd to being those committed followers. And so keep that in mind as we, as we journey through the series. This is really the sermon for the disciples. Uh, and whether the question is whether we're among them. So this morning, Matthew 6 and we're in verse 19. Uh, Caitlin is going to come and read this passage for us, I think. Yes, Caitlin, thank you. Uh, apologies, listeners. Um, we had a technical fault here, and the uh, reading was not recorded. So we'll just continue on with the, um, with the sermon now. Okay. Let's start with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? <laughs> my friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? It's the kind of prayer we like, isn't it? We don't pray much, but when we do, <laughs> that's really what we want to pray. That is a song by Janis Joplin, just in case you're wondering. Thanks, John Dusky, for pointing me towards that one. I thought that would be a fun way to start, seeing as though we're talking about a serious topic, an uncomfortable topic. We're talking about money this morning. We're talking about possessions. Uh, we're talking about our stuff. We're talking about our wealth. So, uh, you know, a bit of light-hearted humor. I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be irreverent in church, but, you know, a bit of light-hearted humor at the start might be good because you may be a bit uncomfortable during this message. It's one of those things that we don't like to talk about, I think, much in church. You didn't really come here to hear a sermon on money this morning, did you? We don't, we, I think we prefer to come to church to hear about spiritual things. Uh, you know, we want to come to church because we want to hear about love, and we want to hear about forgiveness, and we want to hear about grace, and we want to hear about God, and we want to hear about salvation, not money. All right, Leave that for the rest of the week. You focus on that the rest of the week. Don't talk about money in church. And maybe it conjures up images of churches that talk about money all the time, and we have all this baggage that we bring to this stuff. But you may be surprised to realize that the Bible talks about money a lot. It is one of the most common topics in the Bible. There are around about 2,350, I think, verses 
in the Bible on money. More than faith, more than prayer. It's a lot of verses on money. Jesus talked a lot about money. It's one of the most common topics that he spoke about. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven. He talked about money more than he talked about hell. He talked a lot about money. So you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why does the Bible spend so much time talking about money and what we do with our money? Why did God see the need to have so much of Scripture dedicated to this topic of money, wealth, and possessions? And why do we feel so uncomfortable talking about this stuff? All right, just ponder those questions as we go through this morning, because it might tell you something about yourself and where you're coming from. Uh, as we dive into this passage in Matthew 6, I want to encourage you uh, not to be defensive, not to apply this to everyone else except yourself, not to think that this applies to some other category of people. I know it's extra- this will be the kind of message, I'm just going to say this up front, it will be very easy to argue back in your mind about why this is not you, come up with all your excuses. We're masters of self-justification. I want to encourage you not to go there. And just have an open heart and be okay with being uncomfortable if some of what Jesus says makes you uncomfortable, all right? Can we do that? We okay with that? All right, let's dive in. Matthew 6. So what Jesus does in this passage is he gives us three images. Each image is a set of contrasts. They're all making similar points, but they build on one another. So three contrasting images. The first image is the image of treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. So this is verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in the first century, to the people that Jesus was talking to here, they lived with a constant sense of vulnerability around their assets and their wealth and their money and so on, just because they didn't have a lot of the security and insurance and stuff that we have today. So a lot of homes were made of just baked clay. That was about as good as it got. And so if you wanted to break into someone's house, all you had to do was just dig through the walls and you're in. Uh, people stored, a lot of farmers, Jesus is talking to, people stored their grain and barns, and so that's fine, but you get a lot of vermin, you get the, the rats and the mice getting in there and attacking this stuff, and people could lose their wealth so quickly. There was no insurance schemes, you weren't protected, and so people's place in status and wealth and money, it could just change so, so quickly. And uh, I know it's easy to say, well, we, you know, we've, now we've got home alarms, so this doesn't apply to us. You know, now that we've got insurance, hopefully, you know, we don't need to worry about this. We can store up as many treasures on earth as we want because they're far more protected today than they were in Jesus' day. But of course, what Jesus is describing here is not just how well insured your house is. He's not just talking about how well protected your money is. He's describing two completely different things. He's talking about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. What he's really describing are two different lives. What he's really describing are two different stories. I think to think of these as stories is, is helpful. Two different stories. We all live out of a story. Right now, you're living out of one story or another, maybe several at the same time. Jesus is telling two different stories here about the way you can live. I just want to briefly map these stories out for you and, and, and describe what I think this looks like in a 21st century context. Treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. So here's, here's story A. Okay, This is treasures on earth. 
And I think you could describe this story as the Kiwi dream, the story A. And the Kiwi dream really goes like this. You get as good an education as you can so that you get the highest paying job that you can, so that you make as much money as you possibly can. And once you get on a good career path, then you do everything you can to pursue success. You spend as many hours as you need to moving up and up and up into higher positions in your organization or your business or whatever so that you can get more money, so that you can get further ahead, so that you can get to the top of your industry and get all the recognition and the respect and the reputation that goes along with that. You try and build the business as big as you possibly can so that you can make as much money as you can so that you can get the lifestyle that you really want and surround yourself with all the creature comforts, all the things, all the shiny things, all the toys, all the gadgets that you want. Get the biggest house you can, get the best cars you can, get the holiday house and get the boat and do the best holidays and eat at the best restaurants and get the best life that you possibly can. Along the way, maybe you have a family. Don't let it get in the way, though. Maybe you have some kids. Hopefully, they're well-behaved. You try and get those kids educated around how they can make as much money as they possibly can. So you try and drill into them some good business sense so that they can take on all the values of your life and what's driving you. You keep on working hard so that eventually you can have an amazing retirement do all the things that you want to do in your retirement, see the world, store up all this wealth, generational wealth that you can then pass down to your children so that they have an amazing inheritance. Finally, you die. You get put in a casket. Some people come and say nice things at your funeral that really don't reflect how you actually lived your life. You get put into the ground at a nice cemetery with a good view. That's it. That's story A. Story A. And we have a little chuckle, but that's basically how most people in our culture are living. That is the story out of which the majority of people in Western culture live. That is the story that sadly most Christians are living. The only difference with us is we've bolted this thing called the Christian faith onto the side of it, baptized it, and assume it's now okay. But that's still story A. <clears throat> and if you read the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know whether this has occurred to you or not, but if you read this sermon... If Jesus was here, I honestly believe he would look at that story and say, that is a waste of a life. That is an absolute waste of a life. The world may tell you that is the good life and that is, quote, success. If you listen to Jesus and you read the Sermon on the Mount, you can come to no other conclusion than that is an utter, utter waste of a life. Because none of that stuff that you're chasing after, all the money, all the things, all the possessions, all the material assets, none of it is worth a single thing to God. None of it. And one day you're going to stand before Him and realize that. You may not realize it today. You will one day. You'll stand before Him and see it. Jesus has said it so that we might see it now. But that's story A. Now here's story B. Story B is storing up treasures in heaven. And there's not many people that follow this story. There's not many people that live out this story. That's why later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes it as a narrow road. There's the wide road and there's the narrow road. But story B are those who say, this life that I've got now, that we're all in, maybe I've got 80 years, maybe 90, maybe 100. That feels like a big deal now. 
But I know that this life is a little dot at the beginning of a long line that stretches all the way into eternity for hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of years on into eternity. That line will go on and on and on, and you will continue to exist one way or another. And so these people, because they're smart, they go, do I want to live for the line or am I going to live just for the dot? And storing up treasures in heaven are those who say, I'm going to spend this time while I'm in the dot doing things and living in a way and focusing myself on things that are going to matter to the line, that are going to matter in eternity. I'm not just going to sink all of my life into just this little dot. The Bible says this life is a mist. It appears for a minute and then it vanishes. It's gone. feels like a huge thing when you're in it, but it's a dot. It's a drop in the ocean of eternity. <coughs> and storing up treasures in heaven is living in such a way when you're in that dot that you're investing in things that matter in eternity. That You're saying, I want to spend my life serving the Lord. It's not becoming a pastor or a missionary. It's wherever you are. I'm not even saying give up your job. I'm saying wherever you are, you say, I'm going to serve the Lord. It is my life and it is my focus and it is my heart to serve God and be about His kingdom and His values and His priorities and His, what He is calling me to do. I want to grow as a disciple of Jesus. I want to grow into His grace. I want to know Him more. And I want my heart to be drawn more towards Him. I want to prioritize the things of His kingdom. I want to be about the gospel and God's word and God's people and God, participate in what God's doing in the world. And I want to live a life that's not just about me. It's not just all about myself or even my immediate family, but it's about others because Jesus was about others. It's about looking beyond myself, looking to who's around me and who I can move towards with love and compassion and grace and justice and mercy. Being the kind of person that Jesus is asking us and inviting us to be in the Sermon on the Mount, loving God and loving people and investing in the line and not the dot. That is storing up treasures in heaven. And I will tell you, and, and listen, young people particularly, teenagers, young adults, every single day the world is going to try and convince you to live out of story A. Every single day. Every ad you watch, most of the stuff that you scroll past in social media, every shop you walk into, it's all trying to convince you story A is the only show in town. That's the only story that you should pursue every single day. In fact, the world tries to convince us there is no other story. There is no other possible way of imagining life other than just pursuing success and chasing after money and surrounding ourselves with all sorts of creature comforts and convenience. I am begging with you, don't buy it. That is a lie of our culture. Don't buy the lie. The world will constantly try to convince you to live out story A, and Jesus is saying there is a better story. Yeah, people will look at you and wonder what you're doing. Yes, you won't have everything that your friends have. Yes, your life may look different. But that's where you've got to decide whether you want to follow this rabbi or not. I mean, what... I think a lot of us have just thought that we could kind of synthesize some kind of Christian faith with the story that the world tells us to live. 
But if you want to follow Jesus of Nazareth, if you really want to respond to his calling, when he says, follow me, he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross. And then follow me. And that means a total mindset shift, a total paradigm shift. It means we're no longer living just for what the world tells us we should live for, what our culture tells us we should live for. It means that we are living to store up treasures in heaven. We are living for the line and not the dot. So that's the first image that Jesus gives us. And the question is, what story are you living out of? Can't be a blend of the two, even though people try. It's the story the world gives us, or it's the story that Jesus gives us. It's treasures on earth, or it's treasures in heaven. Now, then Jesus moves to a second image here in verse 22. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, anybody here a fan of Friday Night Lights? Anybody seen that show? Have none of you seen it? Patty, thank you. That's a wonderful show. Friday Night Lights, all about American football, and you don't have to love American football to love the show. That's the beauty of it. Uh, so there's a character on the show. This won't mean anything to you now because none of you have seen it. I thought all these hands were going to go up. The rest of my sermon depends on that. Um, so there's a character in the, in the TV show called Coach Taylor. One of the things he says to his players before every game, he has this little saying. He says, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. That's basically a version of what Jesus is saying. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Jesus takes it in a bit of a different direction than Coach Taylor. It's the same kind of idea though. Jesus is talking about our eyes and the contrast is between healthy eyes and unhealthy eyes. So this takes a little bit of unpacking. Let me describe to you what he's saying. The healthy eyes, Jesus is not talking about your literal eyes. He's talking about what you focus on. He's talking about where your priorities are and, what, in a sense, what you're looking at, what, what your life is looking at, what you're focused on. Uh, the healthy eye, the word healthy means single. It's what the word means, the single eye. It's the idea of having a singular focus on God and on His kingdom. The unhealthy eye is the opposite of that. The unhealthy eye, the eyes that are distracted by all these things around us, all the toys, all the gadgets, all the tech, all the clothes, all the everything in our lives that just tries to vie for our attention. And the unhealthy eye is the eye that looks around what everyone else has got and says, I really need that, and I really need this, and I really got to have that. What Jesus is saying is the condition of your eyes determines the condition of your heart. There is a connection between what we look at, what we focus our eyes upon, and the condition of our heart. He says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, your heart will be good. And your heart will be drawn towards, towards God. But if your, heart, if your eyes are unhealthy, if you distract by all these things, that will have an effect on your heart. And your whole body will be full of darkness. Your heart will be dark. So what the point that he's making here is that when we focus our lives on just chasing money and securing a comfortable lifestyle that we think we're entitled to, that has an effect on our hearts. It's not just an outward thing. It's not just an external thing. What's happening is our hearts are drawn away from God. And our hearts are drawn towards all of these other things. If you are spending, well, let me put it this way. If, if you're sitting here this morning and you feel a total lack of spiritual motivation in your life, 
and you wonder why you're so blasé about God, you don't really care, you don't really have any passion in your spiritual life, you don't really have any desire to live for God, and your heart's basically just cold towards Him. Think back over the last week and think about what you have been focusing upon. Think over the last month, think over the last year. What are the things in your life? Where's your time going? Where's your emotional energy going? Where's your mental energy going? What are you waking up at night thinking about? Where are you investing? What is the focus? What are the priorities of your life? That's what you're looking at. And if those things are just the stuff that you're surrounding yourself with, then it's no wonder at all that your heart is a long, long way from God. Because the stuff that we surround ourselves with and the stuff we prioritize in our lives will have a bearing on our heart. What Jesus is saying is that money so easily gets a grip on your heart. It just happens so easily and so subtly, doesn't it? And I think even this morning, there'll be some of you that maybe recognize this is happening for you, and you haven't even seen it because the shift has been so subtle. But money just has a way of drawing our hearts away from God. I found this uh, even... Well, I remember the very first uh, job that I got out of university when I worked in a public relations agency, and it was a good career track, and I was getting six monthly pay rises, and it felt good. And they were decent pay increases relative to what I was earning. And, and when you're getting six monthly pay increases, your mind starts to think, now, what can I do with all this money? All this discretionary income that I've got now, this disposable income. And I just felt the way that it just pulled me towards you, you, you. This is what my mind is going to. That's now my default setting, is I'm thinking about, well, what options does this give us? Now we've got more choices. What could we do? We could maneuver to this level. What kind of lifestyle could we have? Where could we live? That your mind just goes that way. And it was happening to me, and I sensed that hold that money was getting on my heart. So I became a pastor. <laughs> Problem solved. But it's easy to, it's easy to do, right? And it's very, very subtly. I don't think this is just an issue for people that are wealthy either. I think you, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, money can get a hold on your heart. You could earn very, very little money. You could be a beneficiary, and money can still have a hold on your heart. Every little cent in your bank account, you are clutching onto it with white knuckles. It doesn't matter. You, don't, don't let yourself off the hook by saying, well, this only applies to the uber wealthy, and I don't have a, I don't have a super yacht, so this obviously isn't for me. No, it doesn't matter. At whatever level of income, money can reach in there and get a hold on your heart. That's why Jesus tells this parable about seed that gets sown on the ground and it grows up and these thorns come and choke it out. And when his disciples ask him about it, he said it's, it's, it's people who have this faith and their faith grows up to a certain point. But then it comes and gets choked by the thorns. And you know what he says the thorns are? What are the thorns? Two things. The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. What a searching phrase. The deceitfulness of wealth. Isn't that so true? Wealth is such a deceiver. It will grab your heart. It will pull you away. I know that you can say, hey, money is not the problem. Money is neutral. That's right. Money is neutral. Money does not have a moral value. Money itself is not the problem. Your FPOS card does not have any moral value. So money is not evil. But what does the Bible say is evil? The love of money. Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And 
Some of you are lovers of money. Some of you have fallen into that place or deliberately run into that place where you are lovers of money and it's got a grip on your heart. And it is the most easy to excuse sin, isn't it? We get so much more concerned with so many other things in our lives and so many other things in the world. We can point the finger at so many other people, so many other problems in the world, and all the time we can be lovers of money because it's the most respectable middle-class sin. And we let ourselves off the hook. In fact, we celebrate it. We hold people up as being successful because they've made a lot of money. We have completely the wrong idea of what success even looks like. You cannot derive that idea of success from the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're in that space and you recognize that you, your heart has started to love money, I want to encourage you that God's not there to condemn you and hammer you down. His invitation is to bring that heart to Him, bring yourself to Him, lay that down, and ask Him to give you a new heart. And ask Him to change your heart and turn it towards things that matter to Him. And ask Him to cleanse you and forgive you for the way that you have drifted in to the subtle form of idolatry. It happens so easily and so subtly. But rather than just excusing it, come and receive His forgiveness and His grace and say, God, I pray you'd give me a new heart and help my eyes to be healthy. Give me the, the single vision, God, single eye. God, focus on things that matter to you so that my heart might be good, my heart might be light and drawn close to your heart. And He will do that because He wants you to be much closer to Him than where you are. So, healthy eyes versus unhealthy eyes. And then the final image that Jesus gives us in verse 24, and the contrast here is God and mammon. I'll explain that in a minute. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can love or serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the context that Jesus is talking about here is the context of slavery. He's using that word serve. Uh, the idea of the servant or the slave. He's using the word master. So don't, it's easy for us to think this is like employment. And you could think, well, I've, I could have two bosses. I could serve two bosses. I could, be, I could have two jobs. That's fine. But this is not that. This is slavery. If you're a slave in the ancient world, you have no rights of your own. You are completely the possession of your master. You exist only to serve him. That might sound like your boss. But it's a very different category if you're a servant. You can only have one master. And Jesus is saying, you, one way or another, are a servant of someone. And if it's not God, it may well be money. But the word that he uses here for money is interesting. It's the word mammon. Does some of you have a translation that, that says mammon instead of money? It's a, it's a funny old word, but... Uh, the, just do a quick deep dive into linguistics for just a second here. The, the New Testament is written in Greek. But every so often, you come across a word that's not in Greek. It's in another language called Aramaic. And that's what's happened here. The word mammon is a, is a word from Aramaic. So what's happened is Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, probably speaking Aramaic, that was his native language, and Matthew's translating that into Greek, but when he gets to mammon, he leaves it untranslated. 
He just leaves it as mammon. And that's why some English Bibles even continue to leave it untranslated and just leave it as mammon. And so when you come to a word like that, you have to think, well, why is Matthew doing that? He hasn't translated the word. And most scholars think that's because Matthew is making a point to emphasize the power of money. At a basic level, mammon does just mean money. But the fact that it's, it's this word carried over from the original language, it kind of stands out to us. And the point Jesus is making is not just money. He's talking about the power of money. He's talking about money as a force or money as a power that seduces our hearts and allures us away from God. He's talking really about money as a rival God, as like a pretend God, like another deity. So it's kind of like setting up this great contest between Mammon, the God Mammon, and the one true God, Yahweh. This great contest between these two rival deities, God and Mammon. It's a bit like in the Old Testament, the contrast between God and Baal. You know, the story of Elijah. And he calls down fire on the prophets of Baal. And all the people are gathered around. And he says, if Baal is God, go and worship him. If he's the one true God, go and worship him. If he's worthy of your honor, go and worship him. But if Yahweh is God, you worship him. And Elijah, through calling down fire on the altar, proves that God is the one true God. And it's like Jesus, when he comes to give the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying there is another Baal. There is another rival God. And its name is Mammon. And if Mammon is the one true God, then go and worship it. If money is, is truly the, the thing that can bring salvation and redemption and ultimate happiness into our lives, then go and worship that God. But if Yahweh, the one true living God, is the real God, then you worship Him and you've got to choose. Jesus is giving you a very clear choice between two options. Serve God or you serve money. And it cannot be both. I think there's a lot of Christians trying to serve both, trying to serve God and money. And we come to church on Sunday, and we sing the songs, and we raise a hallelujah, and we nod our heads, and we take communion, and we walk out the door, and we spend Monday to Saturday bowing down at the altar of mammon. Because that's how our culture works. And that's the story that we're so conditioned to now. And so we're trying to serve both. Jesus is saying you cannot serve both. Sooner or later, you are going to have to make a choice. And if you are here and you recognize, you know, I have been bowing down before the God mammon for far too long. Jesus invites you today to make that choice and say, God, I'm turning away from that. I'm turning away from that and I'm coming towards you. And it, what it involves from you is coming honestly before God and bringing all that you are. And in your mind's eye, in your own heart, bringing all that you own to Him. Bringing everything that you have. Not keeping this stuff off limits from God. We so easily do that. We just focus on our spiritual lives over here. But it means coming honestly before God and saying, God, I bring you every 
bank account that I have. God, I bring you every investment that I have. I bring you every trust that I have. I bring you my business. I bring you my job, my career. I bring you, God, all of my life goals. You know, we set these goals, and then we assume God just exists to help us fulfill our life goals. And we bring all that to God and say, God, I just lay all that down before you. I just place that on the altar. And it's yours, God. It's all yours. All the money that I have, all the stuff that I have, the assets, Every, all the possessions, God, I just I place it down on the altar and I just I give it to you. You take it, God. You do what you want with it. If you want to take it away from me, if you want to use it in some other way, if you want to keep it, if you want to multiply it, God, whatever you want to do, but I want this to be yours. And then as we go forward from there, we ask for the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to live in such a way that our eyes are no longer just focused on the dot, no longer just focused on what is going to prop up my lifestyle in the here and now, but focused on things that are going to matter in eternity, focused on things that are going to echo in eternity. And again, I want to remind you that God is not there to condemn you. And if you recognize this morning, you know, this is me and I've drifted into this. Don't just squeeze out that voice of conviction that is coming into your life, but open your heart to it and allow God to speak into it and respond to that because he is not there to condemn you. He is there to bring you freedom. He is there to bring freedom in your life. Some of you are so bound up and shackled and chained to an obsession with your own stuff and an obsession with how much or how little you have. And God's saying to you today, I want to free you from all that so that you don't need to worry about that stuff. We'll talk more about worry next week but so that you can be free and your heart can be turned towards me. And if that's the desire of your heart this morning, come honestly before God. Confess where you've fallen away, fallen off track, and say, God, please restore me, renew me, forgive me, and change my heart, and give me a heart after you and not after these worldly, earthly things. There's an old song that goes like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. May it be true for you. Let's pray. God, I'm really aware that your word is like a double-edged sword and it penetrates into our hearts and it, it cuts pretty deep, God, and I, <clears throat> I pray, God, that if that's what you want to do in our lives this morning, that your word would be like a surgeon's scalpel, that it would, that it would cut us deep where it needs to, God, but for the purpose of healing us. God, where there's resistant hearts this morning, because I'm really aware, Lord, just as we talk about these things, it's so easy for us to be defensive. Lord, I pray you'd break through all that. God, where there's hard hearts that don't want to hear this. God, where there's excuses being made, where there's a lot of rationalizing going on, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd break through all that now. I pray you just bring down those walls. Lord, where these people are getting angry at what I've said. 
There's people arguing back in their hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would break, break through all of that. Pray, God, that you'd help us to be okay with the conviction of your Spirit where that needs to come, even when it's painful and uncomfortable. God, show us the areas of our lives where we've allowed our hearts to drift towards other things, towards other gods, and we've allowed other things to be the object of our greatest desire. And we confess that we're so weak, we're so frail, our hearts wander away so quickly and so easily, our focus just drifts from you so quickly, God. And we ask, Lord, that you'd forgive us for those things this morning and renew us in your grace. God, renew us by your strength and bring us back to you, God. And would you make us people who desire to store up treasures in heaven? Would you make us people who, whose eyes are focused only upon you? And would you make us people who don't serve two masters, but serve you alone? Come and work in our hearts, God, we pray. And uh, shape us, mould us, lead us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.